Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. We are back. Episode 200. Big milestone for me, uh, for the podcast. It's been a lot of fun doing these things. Um, They've really become like an outlet for me once a week over the past couple years doing this. Uh, And it's been a lot of fun. And I appreciate everyone who takes the time out to listen, even if it's not every single week you're listening. If you're listening every couple weeks, once a month, once a year, I really don't care. Like if you're listening, I appreciate you. Uh, And it's been quite a quite a time doing this. And I really feel like I've grown uh, as someone who aspires to be a part of, you know, the media landscape. And um, in this media world where social media is very prevalent and podcasts obviously have now blown up and it feels like everyone has a podcast. I remember saying that same exact thing back when I started in September of 2018. Uh, now it's even more more true. Like it's, it's crazy how many people have podcasts, how many different podcasts there's, there are, uh, whether they're about sports or pop culture, you know, movies, music. Uh, they're like a narrative-based podcast. There's so many different things that people can do and cr- can create in this, in this form. And it's, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of fun to do, like I said, and I feel like I've definitely grown. uh, And I've really have found my voice. And it's been uh, a good way for me to kind of just zone in and be able to express my opinions. And I've really appreciated the fact that I've been able to do that. Um, Things have have been good. Things, things are going well. And I just, uh, I'm very grateful. So here we are, episode 200. We took a couple weeks off. I hope everyone had a great 4th of July. Um, And before that, I hope everyone had a great last week of June. Um, It's been kind of, I've been, I've been kind of relaxing, you know, I've been doing some other stuff, but to be able to just take a couple of weeks for, for myself has been, uh, has been very good, but we're back with episode 200 now. And I was going to come back with a sports, I, I I always intended to do a Thor review and I thought maybe I can bang out two episodes, but you know what? I think that might be a, a bit much coming back into it this week with two straight episodes. So I've decided we're going to hold off on the sports talk just one more week. I know the last episode we had was a huge Obi-Wan Kenobi series recap and review episode. So we're going to stick with the pop culture for now, and then we're going to get back into sports. Uh, obviously, the Yankees are still the best team in baseball. Uh, the Mets have been sliding enough to where now they are currently playing the Braves and pretty much fighting for the division. I think they have now because they won the first game. They uh, are two and a half games up, I believe. But uh, the Mets are still playing really well. The Braves have just been playing a little bit better. And they've caught up. They really closed that gap. So an important series for them. Otherwise, baseball has been very fun to watch. Um, I've kind of delved into the gambling aspect of it a little bit on AnimalHouse.com. You can AnimalHouseUSA.com. You go, and I, I've written some some gambling blogs. I will continue to do so. I haven't written one in a bit, but I should get back on that probably this week. I'll throw one up. Um, so I've been dipping my hand in that, I'm dipping my pen, I should say. But besides that, we'll hold off for another week to talk about all that Mets, Yankees, the baseball as a whole. The All-Star break 
will be next week, so we'll get to talk about the All-Star game. Um, All-Star starters were announced. I guess we can go through that really quick. So for the NL, it's uh, Trey Turner at short, Paul Goldschmidt at first, Jazz Chisholm Jr. at second, third base is Manny Machado, and Wilson Contreras is the catcher. Outfield is Acuna, Betts, and Jock Peterson. And for the American League, it's Vlad Jr., Jose Altuve, Rafael Devers, Tim Anderson, Alejandro Kirk, and in the outfield, it's Judge and Stanton and Mike Trout. Uh, designated hitters are Bryce Harper and Shohei Otani. Harper obviously won't play in the All-Star game. Um, in terms of reserves, there were a lot of snubs, a lot of guys that it really felt like they probably should be in the All-Star game, and they weren't, especially pitchers like Dylan Cease was a huge one that was left off the All-Star roster. Uh, but for NL reserves, Pete Alonso, Nolan Arenado, William Contreras, who will take Bryce Harper's spot, I believe, as the DH. CJ Crone, Travis Darno, Ian Happ, Starling Marte, Jeff McNeil. So three Mets make the reserve. None of them starting, but three of them in the reserve. Uh, Albert Pujols was named by the commissioner's office, as was Miguel Cabrera in the AL. Kyle Schwarber, Juan Soto, and Dansby Swanson. Pitchers for the NL, Sandy Alcantara, uh, David Bedner, Corbin Burns, Luis Castillo, Edwin Diaz, Max Fried, Tony Gonsolin, Josh Hader, Ryan Helsley, uh, Clayton Kershaw, Joe um, Mantiply, Mantiply, excuse me, Mantiply, I don't know, Diamondbacks, and Joe Musgrove. And then AL Reserves, Jordan Alvarez, Luis Arias, uh, Andrew Benintendi, Xander Bogarts, Byron Buxton, Miguel Cabrera, like I said, commissioner's office pick, Andres Jimenez, Jose Ramirez, Julio Rodriguez, so rookie for the Mariners uh, making it. I believe he's the only Mariner that made the list. Um, George Springer, Jose Trevino, shout out to him. He's been great for the Yankees. Kyle Tucker. And then for pitchers, Paul Blackburn, Emmanuel Clace, Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, and Clay Holmes. So three Yankees pitchers. That's what a lot of people had to deal with. Three Yankees pitchers making it over Dylan Cease, where arguably he definitely should have made it over one of them. Um, Jorge Lopez, Alec Manoa, Shane McClanahan, uh, Shohei Otani, Martin Perez, Gregory Soto, Framber Valdez, and Justin Verlander. So those are the starters and reserves and pitchers for the AL and NL. Uh, I always really liked the MLB All-Star game. Uh, it did used to mean a whole lot of home. It, mean, it used to mean home field advantage for the World Series. They did away with that, but it's still a very, very, very fun All-Star game. You can't really uh, send it. In. You can't mail it in for a baseball game. You know, guys aren't out there busting their asses for a ground ball to shortstop, right? But they're still trying. They're still playing. Like, pitchers are still throwing. Batters are still, like, looking to get on base and looking to hit because baseball is a game of integrity. So, whereas, you know, the NBA All-Star game is cool, but they don't really play tough till the fourth quarter. And then the Pro Bowl is shit. And I honestly have never really watched an NHL all-star game I don't I can't imagine they are really like going out there full throttle but uh baseball it always feels like there that's the all-star game that has always been the most competitive so I'm excited for the, to watch that I believe it's next week and yeah so that that's our quick MLB talk but let's get into it because this episode is going to be a full Thor love and thunder review and 
The Boys Season 3 Review. 2-1, and one, uh, so we're coming back, double episode, double Jeopardy. We'll start with Thor Love and Thunder. I got to see that on Friday, opening weekend when it came out. Mixed reviews, I think, across the board for every fan of Marvel for Thor Love and Thunder. Uh, let's get right into the movie. We will, we'll talk about the actors and, and everything else and, and their performances. And Taika Waititi, obviously, is a huge talking point for this movie. But let's just talk about the plot and the execution of the movie. So, I was uh, a, a bit disappointed with with the movie, um, I think most people probably didn't think it was going to be exactly like this. Um, personally, if I had to pick, I think the movie really should have just been Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy running around doing shenanigans. We only got like about three minutes of that in the very, very, very beginning of the movie and then they part ways. That would have been a lot more fun. That would have been a movie that a lot of people probably would have enjoyed, but obviously it would have cost a lot of money to have all of them be in the movie at once. Anyway, they bring back Natalie Portman. She becomes the mighty Thor. Um, She has cancer. She does end up dying at the end of the movie, and that was certainly emotional. I think the biggest problem with this movie is, is Taika Waititi's tone there's far too many jokes um I and I did laugh I'm not gonna sit here and say I didn't laugh at any of the jokes it's just that whenever the movie felt like it was finally getting serious whether it with it was with Jane's storyline or or the the children being abducted by Gore or Gore himself Christian Bale was phenomenal as Gore he was very menacing very creepy um not the best Marvel villain but good so, he was great. I wish there was more of him. But whenever, like, these storylines overlapped, it really felt like that the story was getting a little bit more serious. And then it would just, they these screaming goats would come in or Thor would say something stupid or Natalie Portman would say something stupid or Korg would say something stupid. And it would just kind of ruin the, the tone of the scene. And it that was, the entire movie was like that. Um... And sometimes it was funny, sometimes it fell flat, and I, I think that had to be the biggest crime of the whole thing, is that there was just far too many jokes. And the difference between that and Ragnarok, there there were definitely some of the same beats to, between this and Ragnarok, but like, with Ragnarok you have Hulk, you had Jeff Goldblum, who's hilarious, um, Tom Hiddleston as Loki is a great like banter partner with Chris Hemsworth's Thor. And none of those guys were in this movie. So it really felt like Thor was just Chris Hemsworth is great as Thor. Like he is he is Thor. He is fantastic. I'm never gonna knock him. Like he tries his best. But this script and Taika Watiti's direction was just a bit too much. Uh, it, it it just wasn't what Thor needed. They've kind of made him, and, and really Hulk also, Marvel has done this with Hulk, they've made them into these weird characters that should not be feared as much as they are. And Thor certainly has some moments where he really, especially in the, um, the Golden Kingdom, whatever it's called, 
that has like Zeus and all these other gods in it. Like Thor really flexes himself amongst all of these different gods as like the one who should be feared the most because even Thor throw, I mean, Zeus who uh, Russell Crowe should be thrown in jail for that portrayal of Zeus. Like I get it's supposed to be funny, but oh my God, it is so obnoxiously bad. He should be thrown in jail. Uh, so they have him be this, again, this funny, stupid, blubbering character, character of like a god that everyone has this idea of being pretty much an older Thor and they they hint to the fact that you know Zeus and Thor they're both lightning and thunder and all that kind of stuff and and we understand that but just making Zeus a blubbering idiot he kills Korg and then it turns out Korg isn't dead and they pretty much just ripped uh he's Valkyrie uses her hair to tie Korg to the back of her head and they've essentially just ripped that straight from God of War so they don't actually kill Korg and then Zeus doesn't actually die he throws his thunderbolt at Thor who catches it creates it as his own and throws it straight through the chest of Zeus who doesn't die and uh, Thor thinks he's dead and that leads in this that whole plot line leads into the uh the end credit scene which is the first one where it turns out Zeus is alive and he's sending Hercules to go attack Thor, which is a good casting and definitely uh, a cool thing to look forward to. But for the rest of the movie, the last act of the movie gets a bit more serious, which I appreciated, and that's probably why it's the best part of the movie. Thor has to go save these kids that Christian Bale, Christian Bale that Gore has captured from New Asgard. Um, one of them happens to be Heimdall's son, who he wants to go by. I think his name's Ams- Amsdell. Amsdell. He wants to go by Axel, like Axel Rose. Uh, but Thor has to find them. Jane, he, he wants to go by himself, and he does. Then it turns out that Jane, uh, she thought Mjolnir and the powers of Thor were actually healing her. Turns out they were draining her life force because she is immortal. She is worthy of being Thor, but she is a mortal being and it is draining her life force energy and she can't fight the cancer. So she's getting sicker and sicker and she uses the hammer. They almost kill Valkyrie also in the first fight in the Shadow Realm. Uh, Gore's whole backstory has changed a bit because they can't use... All Black, which is the original name of the sword, and it's the king of the symbiotes sword. They don't have the rights to symbiotes. Sony does. Uh, so they couldn't use that. They just kind of made it the Necro sword, and it controls shadows and the shadow realm. Uh, reminded me of Yu-Gi-Oh. R.I.P. to the creator of Yu-Gi-Oh. So the, the movie itself, the third act, it really picks up. And they do less jokes, becomes more serious. The fight sequences in this movie are spectacular. And I think Marvel is just getting better and better with their fight sequences in their movies. Uh, this is no exception. Like, this movie, in the city when Thor is, like, standing in front of Zeus, him fighting everyone, Valkyrie fighting everyone, and then specifically in the Shadow Realm against the Shadow Monsters and Gore, the fights are awesome. The 
the black and white mixed in with the the blue lightning and power of Thor is visually very, very, very pleasing. And the choreography of the fights are great. Felt like there was a lot less cuts than there usually are in Marvel fights. So I really appreciated that. Um, and then the ending of the movie was a bit strange. Uh, they reach Eternity, which is a deity in the Marvel Universe. And it is said that is what Gore wants to do because it is said that the first person to reach Eternity, which is essentially the center of the universe, uh, Eternity will grant them one wish. And obviously Gore's wish is to kill all the gods. He gets there and Thor gets there. Of course, they use um, Stormbreaker who has the power of the Bifrost. That's how they get to the center of eternity. And Gore shows Thor, sees Thor mourning Jane because she's dying. She passes away in his arms and turns, turns into that golden dust kind of exactly like um, Odin did when he passed away. So it's safe to say, which we learned in the end credit scene, uh, Jane reaches Valhalla uh, and, and she goes into the afterlife and meets Heimdall, actually. So she's in Valhalla and Gore sees this and he, he sees Thor mourning this loss and Thor tells him, you don't want vengeance, you want love. Like, that's what you're missing. You're missing love. And Gore decides to bring back... He, Gore is dying because of the Necro Sword. It drains on his life force. Kind of, It's the mirror opposite of what's happening with Jane. It's the same thing. Good and evil. They're both getting their life forces drained by these mythical... Uh, weapons so gore sees this and he wishes for his daughter back love who and it, that's the love in love and thunder thor's the thunder and love is gore's daughter who he brings back she has like these crazy powers she's from the comics love and she's actually played by chris hemsworth's real life daughter in the movie which is interesting I'm um, not sure if they're ever gonna if they're gonna bring her back or they're gonna have like some sort of time jump where she grows up and they cast someone else. But uh, she is super powerful because she is essentially a human incarnation of eternity because that's where she was created from. That's where Gore wished from her and eternity created her. So her shadow you see is the same black uh, star ridden like silhouette of eternity and then her human form is there so she's the love in love and thunder quite literally her name is love um i guess she's gonna be rolling with thor because thor then kind of thor promises to look after her to gore who then dies and then we see at the end of the movie they are going around doing what they were doing with the guardians of the galaxy except they're not there they're doing it solo and they're going and looking at these distress calls and saving all these people all around the galaxy. And I guess that would be, I don't know if she's going to join like the young Avengers, if they're, if they're setting that up um, and she's going to be a part of them. She's stupid powerful. I would assume uh, even just being a child. So, and we see her, she has like some type of weird laser beam power. That's really the only thing we see from her, but you can imagine she's quite strong. And, I, I guess she would be a part of Thor's future, and, and that's where that is going. Um, Chris Hemsworth, I, I think it's safe to say Chris Hemsworth is probably going to play Thor as, I think he also came out and said 
he'll play Thor as long as Marvel wants him to be in the movies. The minute they say, hey, I don't think we're really going to go with Thor stories anymore, then that's it. But I, I have no, I really don't think Chris Hemsworth is going to just step away from the role like uh, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. did with uh, Iron Man and Captain America. Thor is going to be Thor. He's going to be the longest person to have a role ever. In, in a few short years, he's, he's going to uh, surpass, I believe it's Robert Downey Jr. as the longest tenured superhero character. Because Robert Downey Jr. was 11 years, and I think Thor is now also at 11 years. When was the first Thor movie? I believe it was 2010. Or actually, no, it's 2011. So he's on year 11 of being Thor, which I believe Robert Downey Jr. had... Oh, he had 11 years too. So actually, just one more year of being Thor. Like he's going to... Next year is going to roll around and then Chris Hemsworth will officially be the longest tenured superhero. Oh, I, He might actually be the longest tenured role ever uh, for any character um, because... He'll be 12 years. Robert Downey Jr. was 08 to 2019. So that's, there you go. That's uh, 11 years as well. Crazy to think about that. Um, and Chris Evans, of course, was the same. Oh, actually, no, not the same, because I think Captain America was 2010, 2011 also. That came out, I think, the same year as Thor, the first Avenger. Um, so it was Robert Downey Jr. for a while. Now it's not. Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Couldn't have casted a better guy. And I, I'm digressing a little bit from the movie. So, with the movie, the plot was like, the plot was fine, honestly. Like, Mighty Thor, Jane Foster, bringing her around, that was cool. I, I think it was a natural progression of her arc. I feel bad for Thor. He has a whole, we see after Zeus gets him, gets him naked by accident, all these tattoos. He has like this bad tattoos of, R.I.P. Loki, and he's got the, the Loki helmet. He also has a bit of a, a, a scroll, and on the scroll is people who passed away. And he has mother, father, Tony, Loki, uh, and I think Natasha on it as well. I don't think he has Steve on there. So he has Iron Man, Black Widow, his mom, dad, and Loki written on this, like, death scroll thing um and then the big loki one on his back it's funny but it's also sad thor has probably had the most loss in um in the mcu because you think about it he thought loki died twice and as much as loki is an ass he's still his brother so he thought he loki died three times on him his mom died his dad died uh and then he loses his a lot of close friends. And love itself and relationships is a very prominent role in this movie. Of course, it's called Love and Thunder. So you would think it was. And they really drove it home. Gore losing his daughter and, and striving for revenge. And then you have Thor who loses a lot of people. And he's not the vengeful type. But he does keep... He does close off. He does, you know, we see how that happens after they lose. He gets fat and he gets gross and he doesn't care about anything anymore. Um, and you think about all the losses he've had, it's it's quite a lot. 
Uh, so love and relationships and obviously the Jane Foster thing not working out where he's that's really the only thing that he's ever loved is Jane. It's a lot for him. And I, I liked that theme and I, I liked a lot of things in this movie, but I just wish they would take Thor a little bit more seriously going forward. I think that's the biggest issue. Chris Hemsworth was great. Um, Korg is funny. Like, if you want to keep Korg in the movies as the comic relief character, that's fine. But things need to be a little bit more serious. Uh, I, I would appreciate it if they had a nice middle ground with Thor because I think the problem with him in the first two movies is that he's too serious and he's too brooding and the story is a little bit too... It takes itself a little bit too seriously. And in retrospect, it makes sense that they would do that because Thor is a god who hasn't experienced real humanity and that's what the whole first movie is about. The second one kind of, eh, whatever, kind of gets lost in the in the muddle of the MCU. And then Ragnarok was like this really refreshing new direction that Thor had gotten taken in and everyone loved it. And I really do give Taika Waititi a lot of credit for pretty much saving Thor. Uh, and now it's, you know, Endgame and Infinity War. Infinity War was was peak Thor. Like, his mission to go and find a new weapon, mold Mjolnir, or uh, mold a new, a new weapon, mold Stormbreaker in the heart of the Dying Star, and, and that whole arc, and then his, of course, arrival at Wakanda, and, you know, bring me Thanos flexing on everyone by far the strongest per even Thanos wielding for at the time four of the five stones uh he is the strongest guy on the field Thor like he he flexes on everybody he is by far the strongest and that was peak Thor and then of course we have Endgame Thor where he's depressed he's sad they lost he's fat and gross and you know he's a drunken fool and that was funny for a bit, I'm glad they, you know, got off that real quick, and this movie really was supposed to be about, they say right in the beginning, Thor needs to find himself, and Star-Lord tells him that, he's like, you gotta, he's like, I was lost for a long time, and I found people I love, so he's like, you just gotta find out who you are, you know, and I really liked that message in the movie, and I just didn't feel like they focused in on that enough because this movie that Thor finding himself this movie was kind of a that was a backdrop to this movie because we had Jane and there, there was the love and you know the love and loss and Gore was coming in and, and stealing the children and that ended up being the main mission and yeah Thor learned to find himself along the way and obviously now he has this partner uh this child that he's partnered with that he's looking at after and being that father-like figure to her that is where he can kind of focus in on all of that finding yourself I just wish it was more prominent in the movie I, I don't know maybe I'm nitpicking or whatever but it just felt like that was supposed to be the main plot of the movie and it, it, it took a backdrop a backseat to everything else that happened Natalie Portman was okay. 
it was fine that they brought her back as Mighty Thor, but when she was serious, she was good. And then, of course, they tried to make her, you know, the catchphrase thing was very cringe. I didn't like that at all. She kept trying to come up with these different catchphrases and shit. Uh, Very weird. Very strange. Kind of seemed out of Natalie Portman's wheelhouse because she's not necessarily a funny actress, although she is at times funny. Like, she, it, it just didn't really seem like her thing, you know? It was strange. Taika Waititi as, as Korg, again, he is the comic relief. He is supposed to be the comic relief. Everyone, there's not supposed to be a whole, and not everyone's supposed to be a comic relief character, yet that's what it feels like this movie tries to do. Uh, the Screaming Goats, after the initial Screaming Goat gag, oh my god, like, they just showed up everywhere and they were, ever, it, it was horrible. I hated the Screaming Goats after the initial gift giving. It was very weird. Valkyrie was cool. I, I still like Valkyrie as a character. She's great. Um, no complaints from her. But yeah, I mean, overall, you can really pin it down to just a couple things that I think most fans would agree on. Less jokes and uh, opting for a more serious tone for Thor. And, I mean, you can have your jokes, you can have your comic relief, but try and not make him such a idiot, you know? Don't make him such uh, a guy who's, like, just fumbling around and, and being silly all the time. I, I get the direction Marvel's going in, and I, I understand. Like, the tone of the first Iron Man movie was perfect. And Robert Downey Jr., there was a perfect mix of like funny, witty banter. It was also serious tones. It didn't take itself too seriously, but serious enough. Like it was the it's a perfect film. And I'm I'm just saying like it's a perfect Marvel film, but it's also a very good movie, period, right? It's up there. It's very good. Um and I, I, I'm not asking Thor to be like that serious and I'm not even sure if they're capable of making a Thor movie of that caliber but it's important for them to not be so stupid you know like make him a little bit more serious is all less jokes and uh more Christian Bale would have been nice they can't really go back and change that because he's dead of course because it's a Marvel movie and if you're not the big, bad main villain, you're going to die at the end of your movie. That's just how it goes. Um, it is... I, I, I think those are probably the two biggest things. Just make take Thor a little bit more seriously. Because he doesn't take himself seriously. And until he is forced to fight, no one else takes him seriously either. He should be respect it a little bit more that's all like it, it, it just a little less Taika Waititi and Ragnarok I don't believe Waititi wrote he directed it but he did not write it this script he co-wrote so that's another thing um I personally this is kind of like a nitpick shitty thing but I personally am not a fan of when movies have multiple writers um, let alone multiple directors. Not that this movie had that, but they had multiple writers on the script. 
One of them was Watiti. And it, it just never, I don't know, not to my liking. I just don't like it. Uh, but Taiga Watiti really has the same vibe and tone throughout most of his movies, let alone Thor. Most of his movies have the same kind of feel. Uh, and I feel, I, I just think they need to kind of pull back. They can't restrict him. But they definitely need to, like, ask him to pull back a little bit on, like, the shitty puns and, like, the random screaming goat type of comedy. Right? Because it's not, the comedy isn't witty. Most of the time, it's not witty or funny. It's just, like, dumb humor. You know, screaming goats like that's supposed to be funny. There's there's nothing. There's no depth to that. It's just gigantic, dumb, loud screaming goats. And a lot of lines with Thor are not witty or funny either. They're just him being kind of like a dumb jock. Like (laughs) that's a big dumb oaf. That's that's what a lot of his humor is. So fix that. Um, you know, just pull back on Taika Waititi a little bit. He's great, but I would like to see Thor get a little bit more serious. And I think that's it. That That's really what you can point narrow it down to in terms of how this movie stacks up. Um, it is, I believe, the fifth Phase 4 movie. Uh, we're going to rank them, as we do. So we have... Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, and Thor. So it's the sixth movie, not the fifth. My bad. Uh, the sixth Phase 4 MCU movie. We are going to rank them from worst to best. Worst, I think, by far, undisputably, is Black Widow. That movie was unnecessary and just flat out not good. I understand its point was to be like a send, love letter send-off to Black Widow because she died in Infinity War, but it just wasn't a good movie. The CGI was trash. The script wasn't good. Uh, there were parts of it that were good, but as a whole, it just was not a good movie. So that's in dead last. And then I would probably throw Eternals uh, second to last. Not that I think Eternals is a bad movie, Um it's just stacked up to the other four. It's not as good. Uh, I like the concept that they went with. It was an interesting premise and introduced some things. Also, there were like celestials just chilling in Thor as they like rode off. Two celestials just like looking at him right. I thought that was interesting. They were just there. Um, so, Black Widow, Eternals. Then I would have to say Thor, Love and Thunder comes in... Um, fourth again we went over it like it's just it was a fine movie just things needed to be a little bit different they needed to take it a little bit more seriously um and it's another movie that doesn't really offer a whole lot into the mythos of the mcu so that comes in fourth in third is doctor strange and the multiverse of madness i watched it a second time and it was a little bit better, honestly, the, the second time around. I did enjoy the movie. I enjoyed Doctor Strange's character development. Was not a big fan of America Chavez. I think I said that already in my 
review of the movie. Um, but Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch was great. So I also liked Scarlet Witch, at, Witch as the villain. Um, I'm not thrilled that they quote unquote killed her. And I say that in quotes because I don't actually believe that they killed her. I think she's probably still alive. Um, whether this version of her is or an alternate version of her is. There were definitely some missed cues in that movie that they could have added. But otherwise, like I enjoyed the direction of Sam Raimi. I enjoyed um, just like the action sequences, the Illuminati coming in, right? The cameos. I thought that was great. So that comes in as third. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, I think, was a one of Marvel's better origin movies. Like, I, I, I would put it up there in terms of just straight origin movies because you have to take those with a grain of salt when they're introducing a new character and all these new concepts and stuff. It's not as good as, like, Iron Man, obviously, but it's still a very good movie and a very, very solid origin movie. And I just mentioned they missed some things that they could have included in Doctor Strange. At the end of Shang-Chi... Wong comes through one of his portals and brings him to Kamertage. The fact that Shang-Chi's nowhere to be found in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness was a bit odd. Like, I feel like that was a huge missed opportunity to do something like that, but whatever. You know, it, it is what it is. I really enjoyed Shang-Chi. And number one, of course, for me is Spider-Man No Way Home. That movie is fucking phenomenal. Uh, it is one of the better Marvel films ever. And probably the third best Spider-Man film of all time behind Spider-Man 2 and Into the Spider-Verse. So I love Spider-Man for many, many reasons. You all know that. I'm not going to spend time talking about why it's number one, but it's definitely number one. Uh, so yeah, Thor ranks fourth. It's not better than Doctor Strange, Shang-Chi, or Spider-Man, but it is better than The Eternals and Black Widow for sure. And again, it's another one of those movies doesn't really have a whole lot of replay value, except for maybe some ha-has. Like, Ragnarok still has more replay value than Thor Love and Thunder. MCU Phase 4 as a whole has been very lackluster. It's felt very directionless. Um, the characters just... No, nothing seems to really be adding up. And I know Kevin Feige has really... We talked about this a couple weeks ago on the on the last episode I put out. Feige has said the shape of the MCU is really going to start molding over the upcoming months and the fine, the big bad villain's going to be revealed and everything's going to start making sense. But as it is right now, everything feels very incoherent, very random, very, uh, there's, there's no stakes, you know, nothing has any consequences. Nothing really seems to be building on top of another, even with the end credit sequences, you know, we would have these origin movies, we would have these sequels, but at least in a lot of the end credits, we would get some sort of hint or nudge to the further picture of the MCU. Like in Thor Love and Thunder, Doctor Strange, we get him traveling into the dark dimension. That's interesting. Uh, but again, that seems more of just a Doctor Strange kind of thing. In Thor, we get Hercules, the introduction of him from Zeus. Again, that's just kind of a Thor thing. Uh, Shang-Chi going to Kamertage, kind of just a Shang-Chi thing. There has been no hint of a larger villain. There has been no buildup upon these movies. They've all just kind of been, and I get it. 
and I've defended it. I, I understand that they got rid of a lot of their big hitters, right? And they have to kind of lay the foundation for these new heroes to then set up building on that foundation with the likes of the X-Men and the Fantastic Four and, all, and you know, Doctor Doom, possibly all these different heroes and villains. They have to lay down this baseline first and it just really feels like phase four is certainly going to be the weakest of marvel phases um and i'm hoping phase five kind of puts the the pedal to the metal here and we get some really hard hitting big time exciting movies but we'll have to see uh because right now it's just obviously been very lackluster uh outside of spider-man Spider-Man has been great. I feel like that movie has easily had the biggest implications on the MCU. And even then, it wasn't that big. You know, everyone forgetting that Spider uh, Peter Parker is Spider-Man is obviously a huge deal. Um, and it sets him up, Tom Holland, Spider-Man, for an entire new trilogy of him focusing on just being Spider-Man. And they can introduce him freelancing at the Bugle to make money and all this kind of stuff. So very exciting for that. And that in itself has kind of been the biggest implication on the MCU. I think I've uh, explored this enough with Thor. So we're going to run it on to The Boys Season 3. What a season. Um, First off, this is probably the best superhero show ever dare I say only through three seasons but every single one of them has been like fantastic television of course there's you know Marvel's Daredevil is a great one the Punisher is a great one uh but all in all like in terms of live action superhero superhero shows the boys very very easy argument to make that it is the best one it has Great storytelling. The themes are incredible that they intertwine into like this. They intertwine these real world elements and uh, storylines into this superhero based show, which I think is awesome. The characters are dynamic and super well written, and every one of them seems to have an interesting storyline, which I think is unbelievable. Because you know, if you when you have so many of them, usually some of them are really boring and you get kind of pissed off whenever they trail off from the main characters to go tell this side story but like characters like Maeve and A-Train and Black Noir like these side characters really side characters of the show have such interesting storylines that you want to see you want to watch them uh whether you hate them or love them like you still feel something strongly about them so Everything about this show, I think, is fantastic. Like, I really have no nitpicking things to talk about. Um, So we're just going to gush about it for a little bit here. And that'll be the end of the episode. The Boys Season 3 revolves around the fact that Butcher and Huey and the rest of the boys get their hands on some Temp V, which is given to them, I believe, by Maeve in the beginning. Um, and Temp V, basically, it's Compound V, but it's temporary. It gives a soup powers for, I forget if they say it's 12 or 24 hours. I believe it's 24, which would make sense. Uh, but Butcher ends up using it. He kills Gunpowder, which is 
Soldier Boy's lackey. It's like his Robin who he used to beat the shit out of. Um, and finding Soldier Boy ends up being the main mission of the boys because he is the key to killing Homelander. And they find Soldier Boy and he has this ability to essentially go nuclear and shoot an, a nuclear missile out of his, like, explode out of his chest. Uh, and it turns out soups who do survive said attack lose their ability, lose their abilities, their superhuman abilities. Uh, it essentially, they, they kind of dumb it down for you in the show, but what the character, how they explain is that soldier boys blast his like atomic blast essentially evaporates the compound V in a soup's system. So he uses it originally when they unlock him. He is very unstable and he uses it on Kimiko and she goes flying and she has these like life-threatening injuries. She also isn't healing. She isn't that's part of her ability. She's kind of like Wolverine but without the claws. Um so she doesn't have like any type of invulnerability anymore. She doesn't have a healing factor. She doesn't have her super strength. She is just a normal human being. Um and at the end of the show, Maeve makes a actual heroic sacrifice and tackles Soldier Boy out of Vault Tower. And she ends up surviving, but she ends up also becoming a human, which is all she wanted. She goes with her girlfriend or wife. I forget which one it is. Um, and they plan on running away together. Even Ashley in Vault Tower sees that the boys rescued Maeve and that she survived the fall and the blast from Soldier Boy. Uh, but they delete the archive footage. That way no one knows and everyone presumes that she is dead. Jumped ahead of myself there, but that's a great... Uh, the, the Compound V storyline, the Temp V storyline with Butcher and Huey. Butcher is now given a timetable at the end of the show. He has about a year, possibly 18 months, before his brain turns into liquid mush because he took one too many doses of Temp V and he didn't even kill Homelander like he wanted to. Um, this show's theme this season is very much about the toxic relationship between parents and child and sins of the father and stuff like that because you have Butcher and his father who he hates and his brother who killed himself. Uh, Butcher very much sees Huey as that younger brother, and we get a real sense of this feeling from Butcher when he is put under uh, this hypnotic spell by one of Soldier Boy's um, teammates, ex-teammates. That's his ability is to kind of like enter his mind. You, he puts you under for sleep, and you pretty much starve to death, which is pretty, that's brutal. Uh, brutal way to go. But Butcher in these dreams, he really connects Huey with his younger brother, and that is why he inevitably knocks out Huey to, in his own twisted way, save him from taking the another another Temp V shot and killing himself, just like he did to himself. Um, so we have that dynamic with Butcher and his messed up past and his upbringing, and Huey, we have Homelander and Ryan, uh, Butcher, says some messed up stuff to Ryan, kind of shoos him away because he doesn't want him to be a part of his life anymore for some... Uh, it, it was a messed up reason. Everyone kind of looked at Butcher like he was an ass. But that's what the Temp V does. It 
bolsters your already given personality traits. So Butcher is an ass and he's mean. That kind of is what just happened there. He pushes Ryan away and he pushes him right into Homelander's arms. So you have the Homelander and Ryan dynamic. And then it turns out that Soldier Boy is the biological father of Homelander. And Soldier Boy doesn't really care. Soldier Boy also gives a whole thing about his father and how he hated him. And he said he was weak for taking the Compound V serum because a real man wouldn't have taken such a shortcut to be great. Um... Home, he says pretty much the same thing to Homelander. He's like, if I, I wish I was there to raise you, otherwise, because you would have have turned out into such a sad, sniveling pussy. <laughs> You're such a disappointment. And then he like chokes him out. Soldier Boy goes ham in the fucking ending of this show. He takes on everyone. Um, I'm kind of jumping all over the place here, but there was a lot. We'll, we'll let's stick to the finale for now. The finale basically has Maeve, Butcher. And home uh, and Soldier Boy meeting Homelander at Vault Tower to end it, and then the second group of Huey, Starlight, and MM uh, go in. They also want they want to kill Soldier Boy. So the f- group one of Soldier Boy, Butcher, and Maeve show up to kill Homelander. Homelander tries to have a father-son talk with Soldier Boy. He brings in Ryan, much to Butcher's dismay. Doesn't like that. Says, look, you didn't have anything. Now you have a son and you have a grandson. Like, we could just be a family. Like, no one would oppose us. We can create, like, a world that we really want. Very fascist stuff. And Soldier Boy says, I've always wanted... He tells Butcher before, he always wanted a family. Just never had one. Um, Figured he had some kids running around out there. But he never had a true, real family. He didn't want his kid to be a soup. He didn't want to marry a soup. Like, he just wanted a... Try pride and true American homegrown family. That's what Soldier Boy wanted. And Homelander gives him this souped up father-son-grandson dynamic. Uh, and Soldier Boy hates it. And he tells him, like, you know, you're weak, you're pathetic, you're a pussy, and I'm disappointed. Pretty much saying everything he told Butcher, his father used to say to him. He essentially says the same exact thing. To Homelander, Homelander says, but he's like, I'm weak. I'm you. And he says, I know. You're such a fucking disappointment. Uh, And then he chokes him out uh, and kind of starts beating the shit out of him. And then Ryan uses his heat vision for the first time to blast Soldier Boy into the other room. Then Soldier Boy comes back and slams Ryan into the wall, causing a cut on his head. And as Soldier Boy is able to... Uh, is about to blast Homelander and Ryan into oblivion. Butcher has a change of heart. He uses his laser laser vision to Soldier Boy, who blocks it, and then Homelander joins in and and taps in and and sends Soldier Boy into the other room. Now everyone's split up. Uh, Butcher decides that he's going to stop Homelander, and Maeve decides that she's going to try and kill... Butcher decides he's going to stop Soldier Boy, um, and Maeve decides that she's going to have to fight Homelander. Homelander sends Ryan away. He's like, go, run. You have to get out of here. And then Maeve starts fighting Homelander, who doesn't take her seriously at first, but then she lands a handful of really good blows. She makes him half-deaf by stabbing a metal prong into his left ear, giving him this crazy ringing sensation. 
Uh, so that is kind of a way that maybe he gets nerfed. Who's, who knows? Maybe his healing factor is, like, insane. But uh, Maeve gets her eye gouged out. So that was a crazy fight. Really enjoyed Maeve versus Homelander. And then on the other in the other room, Butcher is talking to Soldier Boy. And Soldier Boy says, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the hell are you doing? And he's like, that's my wife's kid. Uh, he's like, not not the kid, not the kid. And he's like, what? I thought you said bodies don't matter. And he's like, that's my wife's son. He's like, all right, wait. Homelander had sex with your wife and you want to save the kid? He's like, yeah. and Butcher's like, stand down. He's like, fuck you. You're weaker than he is. Uh, again, very toxic masculinity stuff coming from Soldier Boy. Uh, but that's when they start duking it out. Soldier Boy beats the piss out of Butcher. Um, I mean, he... Soldier Boy's greatest strength is his durability because he's fighting everyone and Butcher laser beams Soldier Boy point blank range in the face and all the thing the only thing that comes out of it is a little scratch on his cheek. Like the durability from this dude is insane and that's probably where uh Homelander got most of his stuff from is the durability of Soldier Boy. He's a beast, bro. Like Soldier Boy is a beast. He's even able to tank this toxic gas uh, and says, I'm not going back in that fucking box. Uh, And again, this leads up to the point where just as he's about to blow everyone away, Maeve tackles him out of the building where the explosion happens. He gets put into a comatose state and he is under the supervision of Grace Mallory and the CIA. And that's how his story ends. Um, Everyone else, Starlight leaves a seven. She's kind of a laughing stock, by the way. Huey amps her up with, like, she starts to look like a god. She's completely glowing. She starts floating. Uh, and then she just pushes Soldier Boy back, like, five feet. No one cares about Starlight. Like, her powers are so mid, it's crazy. Um, as for everyone else, so Homelander introduces Ryan to his uh, Republican, conservative, like, neo Nazi fascist uh, group. And. A guy throws a bottle at Ryan and calls them a fascist. Everyone separates, exposing the dude, and sold and uh, Homelander shoots his laser beams into his head, exploding it. And initially, everyone's shocked. And of course, who do we have? What's his name? Fucking Ted or something? MM's ex-wife's new husband. He's there at the Homelander rallies. He actually got knocked out by M.M. In, earlier in the season because he kept taking his daughter to the uh, Homelander rallies, which he hated, obviously, because Homelander's a psychopath. Uh, but it, this obviously implies real-world stuff, very Donald Trump-esque, where it's like he's not necessarily a good guy and all these people are goo-goo-ga-ga over him. They're blindly loyal Every politician has that kind of stuff, but it was specifically more aimed at the Trump stuff. Um, and of course, after Homelander blows this guy's brains out, who is there? It's Todd, Ted, whatever his name is. He's the one who starts, yeah, yeah, he starts cheering, and then everyone else starts cheering. And now Homelander realizes, because this is the first, this is the first time he's truly snapped in public. He just killed someone probably on video in front of all these people and they started cheering him saying he's a piece of shit he deserved to die 
This is the moment that Homelander realizes he can do anything. That's going to be a huge problem. And, of course, setting up the villain for Season 4, Victoria Newman. Because Homelander, before the whole final showdown, has the deep kill uh, Robert Singer, who's running for president, and the guy that Vought is going to get into the White House. Uh, also, a very cool Supernatural reference. Robert Singer is the actor. He's playing Robert Singer in... The Boys, and he also played Bobby Singer in Supernatural alongside Jensen Ackles, who played Dean Winchester and also plays Soldier Boy. Uh, also, Eric Kripke is the showrunner for The Boys, also was the showrunner and I believe the creator of Supernatural. So there you go. A little all connecting dots there. But Homelander has the deep go and kill Robert Singer's running mate and the future VP in his pool. He has him drowned and thus Victoria Newman is thrusted into the running mate role for Robert Singer, which now she is of course revealed to be the soup who uh, exploded Congress's heads on live television. Uh, she has that telekinetic ability and Homelander did that now so they can now get Robert Singer and Victoria Newman in the White House and you can imagine that once Robert Singer is in the White House they will just kill him and then Victoria Newman the soup who is aligned with Homelander will ascend to be the president that's probably their play and Butcher that's how the end scene ends with all the boys reunited and Butcher coming in they all hate him but he says oh yeah she's gotta die uh, and that sets up season four. So Homelander kind of realizes he can get away with anything. The boys are back together, including now Starlight, a new member of the team. Officially, uh, they're all together. They have to stop Victoria Newman and Homelander again, of course, because he's the overarching main villain. Uh, Ryan is under this spell of Homelanders where they're kind of like together in everything. Soldier Boy, I hope they bring him back, but I'm not sure because he doesn't really align with anything. Um, I assume maybe Homelander still kind of likes him, but probably not. <laughs> uh, and the boys certainly aren't aligned with Soldier Boy anymore. So who knows? Maybe they can control him somehow. I doubt it. I'm not sure if they're going to bring Jensen Ackles back, but he was by far the best part of season three. He was awesome. I It was all the... He was very hyped up, and I was very excited, and, like, he delivered on every aspect of this character, and it was completely different from the comics, which is really good, because most people actually don't like the, the boys' comic run. Uh, the show kind of blows it out of the water. Noir is dead. That's unfortunate. A-Train has a new heart. Uh, he is able to run again. I don't know where he really aligns. Him killing Blue Hawk was so satisfying Although his brother hated it because Blue Hawk didn't get real justice. He just killed him. Um, and that's not what he wanted. So A-Train's story is very, very sad. Now he has, like, the racist that he killed. His heart is in A-Train. Fucked up. Uh, the Deep, his wife left him. And he, now he's kind of he became a hitman for Homelander, committing all these political plays. He's kind of just a puppet. The show is incredible. Like, I, there's really no other way to get around it. Like I said, the plot was awesome. The characters were great. The dynamics 
the real world issues that they stuff into this show is fucking awesome, man. Like, Herogasm was a great episode. Um, the finale was fantastic. It just every episode has been good. From season one to season three, every episode has been good. It, it really is one of the best shows on television, period. Not even just the best superhero show. It's one of the best shows in television, period. Amazon has done a great job with it, man. They really have. And obviously because it it is depicted from or adapted from a comic book, it is still so different from the comics that it's adapted from. They can really just do whatever they want. Like Black Noir in the comics was a Homelander clone. Not even close. He's his own character in The Boys. Not even close. Like Huey, Butcher, they're all a little bit different. MM, they're all a little bit different from their comic book counterparts. Soldier Boy was like a loser in the comics. And in the show, he's a total badass. So they they have really taken a lot of liberty with these characters and how to change them. And they've done it pretty much all for the better. Like, if you were to stack up the comic book and the show, the show is so much better. All right, I think I've gushed enough about this show um, and Thor. So I'm glad I got on here, did a review. We'll be back with sports next week. Uh, Some sports betting and uh, some baseball talk. We'll recap the All-Star game, All-Star weekend. It'll be fun. Till then... I'm glad you all listened. Episode 200. Very, very happy. Very excited for what's to come. Uh, And I'm grateful to those of you who do listen to the podcast. Um, So once again, for the 200th time, I guess, thank you all for listening. And I will talk to you all next Wednesday.